Well, we are going to dive into our message here this morning as we continue with the series, The Big Story. If you haven't been around, we're going through the big story of Scripture because so often we look at the Bible and we say to ourselves, like, I don't, what is, I don't know what's going on here. I'm confused. How does this fit into anything else? And so what we're doing is we're stepping back. We're looking at the big story of Scripture. What is it God is doing here? And we're asking ourselves two very simple questions. The first question we're asking is this. How do I fit into God's story? Remember, it isn't how does God fit into my story? How do I fit into God's story? But secondly, we're asking the question, how does this story constantly point us to Jesus? Over and over and over, it is pointing us to our need for Jesus. So if you haven't been around, understand this message and the previous two are really challenging for me because I have to cover a massive portion of the story. Uh, and I'm so excited next week because I kind of get to take a breather as we, we get into the core of, of Christ. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, but this morning is one of those messages. You got to stick with me, fight with me here this morning. But there's going to be some good nuggets in here, I know. And God wants to speak to your heart. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 2. If you don't know where Jonah is, turn to your table of contents. It's a little book of the Bible right in the middle, all right? <clears throat> As you're turning there, just a reminder, we are in our Bible reading plan. If you haven't been following along, tomorrow we start Deuteronomy. And so jump back in. If you've kind of gotten off, jump back in and we'll follow along. All right, would you stand with me across the room? As we're going to read our primary text here this morning. Again, nothing sacred about standing. We just say, God, we want to hear from you. Verse number 2 says this. He, being Jonah... He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just hit pause on everything else. Whatever's running through our minds for a moment, God, we stop and we say, God, we want to hear from you. So we focus on you. We listen to you, God. Would you speak to our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. All right, quick question. How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand. You grew up in church. Maybe going to Sunday school, some of those kind of things. All right. If you grew up in church, then everybody knows your favorite snack growing up in church. What's the favorite snack that shows up? Goldfish, right? How many eat goldfish in church, right? My kids love it, right? They know they're getting a meal every time they come to church. Goldfish, okay? But if you know the goldfish, then you know what the goldfish oftentimes were served in. You know these things, the Dixie Cups. How many remember the Dixie Cups, right? They gave you water in these. They only gave you this much water because they didn't want to have to take you to the bathroom. That's why, okay? But the greatest part of growing up in church, the, the crown jewel of growing up in church is this thing. What do you remember this? The flannel graph. How many remember the flannel graph, right? We all know the flannel graph. We've you've used the flannel. It's great. You know, it's high technology that we got going on, okay? If you remember as a kid hearing the stories, one of the best stories that you hear when you're a kid in church is Jonah, right? Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish. It's one of those. You got the big whale, all this kind of stuff. But I think a lot of times we miss what the point of that story is. It wasn't about a whale. It wasn't about a fish. For those of you who don't know the story I'm talking about, uh, I'll just kind of give you the overview of what takes place. There's a man named Jonah. He's a prophet. And God comes to Jonah, who is, who is a part of his people, and he says, I want you to go to the land of Nineveh. Totally different people group. And Jonah says, I don't like those people. I don't want to go to those people. Right? And God says, no, you're going to go, and I want you to call them to repentance. He says, no, I don't want to do that. Right? And so what does he do? He runs away. He flees. He goes the opposite direction. And God miraculously gets a hold of him and he eventually leads them back to his, this group, the Ninevites, and he preaches to them. He calls them to repentance. And what do the Ninevites do? They repent. 
They turn, they lay themselves down before God. They give their lives over to God. And we get to chapter four of Jonah, and this is what Jonah's talking about. See, God, this is why I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go to those. I don't like those people. I don't want them to turn to you because I know what you're like, God. And this is one of those famous sections of scripture. It says this, God, because you are this kind of God, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I know what you're like. It's like, I know if I go to those people, you're going to have grace on them. And see, this is the thing we need to understand when we go through the big story of scripture. Because if we forget this, then it's oftentimes easy to say, man, why does God just keep putting up with these people? They keep turning the wrong way. They, they're stupid. Like, they don't figure this thing out. Why does he do that? Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Oh, is God just? Absolutely. Is he holy? Absolutely. Is he righteous? Yes. Does he deal with sin? Absolutely. But he is predisposed to graciousness and compassion. His desire is to give grace on people. And this is what Jonah understood. God, you're going to have grace on them, and I don't want you to have grace on them. And this is good news for us, right? It's good news for me, because I don't know about you, but I need God's grace on a regular basis. I'm a train wreck most of the time, right? There's plenty of times when I'm like, stupid, why can't I figure this out, God? Why do I keep going in the direction I don't want to go? I am desperately in need of a gracious and compassionate God. He has grace on us, not because we are good, but because he is good, right? He is good. That's who he is. And we have to remember this truth because then it makes more sense. Why is he so dang patient with these people, all right? So we want to get back to the big story. I want to kind of catch us up to where we've been. If you haven't been around, here's the Cliff Notes version of the last six weeks. Here we go, all right? We start at the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This is his story. It's about what he is doing in the world. And so at the beginning, God creates all things perfect. He orders it. He assigns perfect purpose to all things, right? And at the end of chapter one of Genesis, God is sitting on his throne over this universal kingdom. Everything is as it should be. Mankind under his authority in perfect relationship with God. It is beautiful. It is perfect. There's no pain, no disease, no injustice. It is awesome. That is the desire. That's the picture. That's the goal. But then we get to page two. What happens? Mankind sins. They turn from God and they say, we want to do things our way. And the result is sin enters the world. And it breaks that relationship with God, but it also frustrates the relationship with one another. And we still feel that. And you get at the beginning, and what does God do? He gives a promise to Adam. He says, listen, one day there will be a seed of this woman, this Jesus who will come. And he is going to once again restore things like they were supposed to be in the beginning. He's going to take us back to that picture of the future. And he begins... We get to the second section. We talk about Abraham. God begins this journey toward Jesus through a man named Abraham. He approaches him and says, listen, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. I'm gonna make a relationship with you. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make you into a great nation, Abraham. You're gonna have so many descendants. I'm gonna bless you. And through you, I'm gonna bless all of mankind. That's what's gonna take place. And it points, this covenant he makes with him points to the covenant God makes with us, with us through Christ. Remember, everything is pointing us back to Jesus. And so this man, Abraham, goes from being a family into a great nation. He, this amazing amount of people, and now they are enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And God does a miracle, and he brings them out, and that's when we get to the Exodus. God draws his people out of Egypt, and now once again, he wants to establish covenant with the Israelites. He says, listen, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, but here's the deal. I'm holy. 
I want to be with you, but the only way I can be with you is there's going to be some sacrifice needed. You're going to have to do some things in order for us to have this relationship. And they set up this concept of the tabernacle. We're going to talk about it more next week. This idea of the tabernacle. This is how I can be in relationship with you. I want my presence to be with you. And God leads his people through a long story. Eventually, they get into the promised land, this land that God had promised to Abraham. And they step into the promised land. And as we talked about several weeks ago, this idea that there was a little bit of poop in the brownie still, right? Right? God said, you need to go into this land and you need to push everybody out and you need to take over. But instead of doing that, they allowed some of these people with their pagan religions and their different gods and their idol worship to stay in the nation. And what happened? They compromised over and over and over again. Eventually, they got to the point where, God, I don't want, I don't want to worship you. I don't, want, I don't want you to be the king. No, we want a king like everybody else has. We want a leader just like every other nation has. We want to look more like them than we want to look like your kingdom. And God says, fine, if that's what you want, you can have it. And they raise up a king and gives him King Saul and King David. And King David is an amazing king. We read about him. He had some issues, but at the same time, God said, listen, I'm going to establish your king Ship, David, I'm going to establish your throne, and it's going to be an eternal throne. You see, what God is doing through the line of David, he's saying, remember this beginning? There was this whole idea of this universal kingdom. Once again, God is establishing this idea of a kingship. And one day, there's going to be a new king that comes that takes us back to page number one. Get what I'm saying here? Okay. All right, so we get to where we're at now. Now we're in the story. We're stepping into the next section. We're calling it the exile and the return. So we've got... King Saul, we've got King David. David has a son named King Solomon. Solomon is the king over the United Kingdom, right? This United, all these 12 tribes that we had had are all together as one kingdom. Perfect. That's the goal, right? They'll all be together. But unfortunately, he is now gone and his son Rehoboam takes charge. And the story of Rehoboam goes like this. Rehoboam is stupid and arrogant. And he makes some stupid decisions and he listens to the wrong people. You see, he, uh, he was confronted with a circumstance, and he chooses to listen to his friends rather than to listen to the elders who had a little wisdom. And hear this. We need to recognize this, that a lot of times we do stupid things not because we don't get advice, but because we get advice from the wrong people. Well, you're getting advice. <laughs> you're just listening to the wrong, wrong people. What voices are you listening? Who do you have speaking into your life? Because there's a principle you have to get a hold of, and this is the principle. The voices you listen to determines the direction of your life. What you choose to listen to. Listen, every voice you listen to, it affects you. That person you follow on Instagram is, is affecting the outcome of your life. That person you listen to on social media, that news channel you listen to, that radio station you listen to, those movies you watch, that music you listen to, it is influencing the direction of your life. In the same way, the people you have around you speaking into your life, you know, you go and get wisdom from your girlfriend, from your guy friend, but they're pointing you the wrong direction. That's not good voices. That's not the right voices. Why is it we should be grounded in the word of God? We need the right voices. Listen, showing up for one hour on Sunday is not enough because you got enough other voices in your life to counteract what I can bring you in one hour on Sunday mornings, okay? We have to constantly be choosing who are we listening to. And Rehoboam listened to the wrong people. And the result was, in a matter of days, taking over this united kingdom, the whole kingdom splits in two. He, he can't last more than a couple days. And now we've got the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes in the north. We've got two tribes in the south, the southern uh, kingdom of Judah. And what's the story of them? Well, the story is compromise, <laughs> disobedience, unfaithfulness. It's the same we've been seeing all along. 
They keep doing the same things. And we talked about this a little bit when I did the little poop in the brownies and some of you are sick of hearing about that, but I've also had a lot of people say, Greg, I will never look at brownies the same. <laughs> I said, that was the point. That was the point. Um, but when you, we talked about that, this whole idea of compromise, uh, I didn't share this, but this is a principle I think we need to get a hold of, and it's this, that compromise breeds compromise. Yeah, yep. Compromise breeds compromise. Yep. See, when we compromise in one area of our life, it actually causes issues in other areas of our lives. And one little compromise will make it easier for the next one. How many of you like to be on a diet? Nobody, that's what I thought, okay? Nobody likes to be on a diet. It's not fun. And so when we're trying to eat healthy in our home, do you know what I tell Amber? Get all the good stuff out, right? Don't buy the good stuff. Because I know myself. <laughs> I will take one bite, and then it will lead to many more bites of the wrong thing. Like, I have a hard time. I, you just got to get it out of the house because if I have a little compromise, it's going to result in a lot of compromise. And that's what's true in our lives is sometimes we allow, well, it's just a little compromise. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're going down the wrong path. Yeah. That little compromise will lead it. But it's more than just that because sometimes a little compromise over here in this area of our life actually makes it easier to compromise over here. You've built a pattern of compromise. You've built a pattern of saying, I don't need it. Faithfulness isn't that important, right? See, some of us struggle with faithfulness in our marriage, but it started with unfaithfulness somewhere else in our life, and it became normal. Like, unfaithfulness became normal to us. Oh, it's easy to be unfaithful here. That's just how I am. I'm gonna stop preaching that, okay? All right, so we've got all this compromise going on, and so this is constant in the story, compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise that's, that's going on in here. And so if you follow the stories of the northern kingdom and the, the story of the southern kingdom, what you see is there's about just shy of 20 kings for both of those nations. And in the north, all, all of the kings are evil. They're all bad. None of, they don't say any of them are good, okay? You get into the southern kingdom, about eight of them are good-ish. <laughs> they're not all perfect, but they're good-ish. And, and they try to keep the idols out, and they're doing some of these kind of things, right? But the story over and over that we see through both the northern and the southern kingdoms is evil. It's constantly compromising, turning the wrong direction, and it's during this time that God raises up a, a voice that comes over and over again, and that's the voice of the prophet. And there's prophets that are raised up that come on behalf of God to speak to these kings. And what do they do? It's, it's speaking on behalf of God and challenging your faithfulness, calling out sin, calling out idolatry, calling out injustice. Some of you know the names. We've talked about a few of them. Samuel, the prophet Samuel. We've got uh, the prophet Nathan. We've got prophets like Elijah and Elisha. If you read through all the little minor prophets and major prophets that are here in your Old Testament, the back half of your Old Testament, these are these voices. These are men who came to confront the kings and the leaders of Israel to call them back to faithfulness. And we see this happen, but over and over and over again, they don't. <laughs> over and over again, they say, no, nope, we're going to go our own way. And so we get to the next portion of this story and what Moses said. Remember what Moses said before they even stepped into the promised land? Hey, you guys are going to go into the promised land, and you're going to screw it up. You're going to fail. And when you fail, when you turn away from me, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get taken into exile. And that's exactly what happens. The year 720 B.C., 720 B.C., the Assyrian Empire is in control in the, of that region of the world at that point in time. And, and God raises up the Assyrian uh, Empire to come and to destroy Israel, the northern tribe or kingdom of Israel, to destroy it, take it away in exile, and the northern kingdom never exists again. 
The southern kingdom lasts a little bit longer. Like I said, they had some better kings, a few better kings. But in the year 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire is now in control. They've got the power, and God raises up the Babylonians to come and, and to take out, uh, to destroy the city of Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple, destroyed the wall, destroyed, and take off the best of the best from them into exile. This is the story. This isn't just a, a, some fairy tale here. This is the history of what took place. But you see, all of this was foretold. The difference between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom is that God said, listen, you're going to get taken into exile, but after a period of time, you're going to be brought back. That's the, the prophecy that was made. And so it's during this time, for a period of time, about 70 years, the Israelites have now been taken into, into exile in Babylon. And now they are trying to live faithful to their God while living in a different nation. And, and there's two different books that are written, the book of Daniel and the book of uh, Ezekiel are written during this period of time. How many of you know the book of Daniel? You got Daniel and the lion's den. You remember that story, right? You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a fun story, right? These are good stories. This is taking place while the people of God are in exile in Babylon. That's what's going on here. I don't think that there is a better book of the Bible. There is a better stories for us than what's written in the book of Daniel. Why? Uh, because I think, I, I mean, I love my country. I love my country. I, there was not another country in the world that I would want to live in. But hear this. We are not like the Israelites living in the promised land. We are like the Israelites living in Babylon. Okay? Yep. I love my country. This is far more like Babylon than it is the promised land. All right? We are not in a nation that says, oh, yes, you should follow Christ. No, we are in a nation that every way is contrary to God's desire, that everything is trying to point us and force us away from him. That is the culture that we live in, right? We're living in a culture that's constantly trying to get us to bow our knees to the kingdoms of this world. We live in a culture that wants us to compromise truth, to compromise morals, to compromise righteousness. And if we ignore that reality and go along with the flow, we're going to flow ourselves right off a cliff. That's the reality of what we live in. We are not in the promised land, ladies and gentlemen. We are in Babylon. And our call is faithfulness to our God. Faithfulness and commitment to his kingdom above all things else, right? This is about him. Why do I say it's so critical that we know the word of God? Why? Why do I say it's so critical that we know how we fit into his story? Because if we're not focused on that, we'll just go along with what everybody else is doing, right? And what did Jesus say? Hey, the road's wide that leads to destruction. That's super easy. Just park it in neutral and let everybody push you wherever you want to go. You'll, you'll end up in destruction, right? If you want to follow me, it's going to take some intentionality, some focus on the right things. I don't know about you, but I've been convicted this week as I think about it. How often do I just go with the flow? How often do I, do I just say, oh, yeah, this is what everybody else is doing, right? Oh, I'm, I'm not stupid and like, you know, like a teenager jumping off a literal cliff, but I am jumping off cliffs at times, <laughs> following along with what the world says is right. See, we've got to be very, very careful. And so this is where the Israelites are. They're spending uh, the 70 years they spend in Babylon trying to be faithful to God during this time. But as was prophesied, after those 70 years, God begins to restore them back to their nation. He raises up uh, the leader at that time and says, listen, I'm going to let you go back into Israel. And so it comes in kind of waves. So they send the first wave, and we read about this in the book of Ezra. If you've ever read Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra comes, and they rebuild the temple Right? They rebuild the temple, and they're so excited to build this temple. And yet, it isn't like the first time. 
See, the first time they built the temple, what happened? The presence of God came in a powerful way. This cloud comes down. It's amazing, amazing thing. There's no stories of that happening. Oh, the temple's there, but it even says the elders are weeping. Like, it's not the same. It says that Ezra then tries to get them to once again recommit themselves to the covenant of God. Okay, okay, we've screwed up God. We're not gonna do that anymore. We're gonna be faithful to you. But as you read the stories over and over and over again, they do the same thing. They keep walking away, walking away, walking away. You get to the book of Nehemiah and the city of Jerusalem is there, but the walls around the city have never been rebuilt. And so Nehemiah now comes with another wave of people and they're building up the city and everything is trying to be reestablished like it was before they were exiled, but it just isn't quite the same. They're still in a position of longing. And when you get to the end of the Old Testament, this is where it is. It isn't like, where's the happy ending? Where's all the good stuff, God? I, I thought there was going to be all this good stuff that's supposed to take place. Remember, the people are just sitting there saying, okay, God, there's some future messianic king. Remember how the King David, you said this throne would last forever? Like, where's the king? Like, where is this king that's supposed to come save us? In fact, this is what the Jews today are still asking. Where is this Messiah, this Messiah that's supposed to come and restore things like it was under David? What they didn't understand was God's trying to do what he did in Genesis chapter 1. They're also saying, God, where's your presence? Remember, your presence, your temple is here, and you said your, te your presence would, would be in this new temple, but there's no presence. We got the temple. We don't have any presence. We're still waiting for the, the presence of God to come. That there's, you said there was going to be a kingdom, not just a kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom that was over all the nations. And yet, God, we're sitting here, we're still like getting beat up. Like what's happening to this, this kingdom you talked about, God? We don't understand all the promises, the prophecies that were given to Adam, the prophecies that were given to Abraham over and over. Where is this, God? We don't have what we need. And I think that's exactly the position God wanted people to be in. Remember the song that we sing at Christmas time? O come, O come, Emmanuel. This longing that we have in our hearts, God, we need something else. We need, and I, the reason I think this is why God puts us in this position because it's the actual position every one of us finds ourselves. You see, when we live our lives, we are in a position until we get to a place where we recognize this doesn't cut it. Like what I have on my own doesn't get the job done. We have no need for a savior. But when God can get us to that place, this place of longing, a place of recognition to know, man, I don't have enough, then we're ready to receive a Savior. One of my favorite theologians out there, his name is Jim Carrey. <laughs> Anyways, he's a great theologian. And one, one of my favorite quotes actually came from Jim Carrey. If you don't know Jim Carrey, movie, comedian, uh, he was the guy, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago, he was the big ticket. Like, he didn't do a movie for less than 20 million. He has all the fame. Everybody knows who he is. He's got all the money. He could have anything that he could possibly want. And this is what he said. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And this is the point that we have to get to. <laughs> And this is where the Old Testament ends, getting us to this place to realize all this stuff, we need something else. And that's the point. We are in desperate need of Jesus. That he is the solution to every problem. He is the source to every need. He is the one we need to get our eyes on. That's our need. And so it's here that I'm going to stop the story until next week. When I'm so excited, we get to turn the next page. But I want to close with looking at one other passage here as we wrap our time up here this morning. 
If you got your Bibles, you can turn there to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of you know this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you probably have it hung up in your house somewhere. You know what? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. And a lot of us love that verse. It's a great verse. It's one that inspires us. I'm sure you've wrote it on somebody's note. I'm sure you've given a graduation card, right? And the problem is we read that verse with no context, and we think, oh, if I just stay close to God, everything's going to be awesome, right? My life's going to be prosperous. I'm never going to have any problem. My breath is going to smell like roses all the time. It's going to be amazing. But you got to look at the context of that verse. See, who's, who's speaking that? Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, is speaking that to God's people, just before they're getting taken into exile to Babylon. Just before then. That's who's speaking. And what's he about to say? He's like, it's about to get bad. You better, you better get ready. It's about to get bad. And here's what it said. The verse right before that, in verse number 10, says this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, go into exile for 70 years. All right? He's like, it's about to get bad. You're, you aren't going to want this. You're not going to like this fully, Okay? Right, when that 70 years is completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Then we get to verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. See, what is God trying to say to them? He's trying to say this. You're about to step into Babylon and two options are available to you. Either you will fall in love with Babylon and forget about me, or you will experience pain in Babylon and think I have forgotten about you. And both would be wrong. He said, listen, my desire for you is that when you step into the pain, listen, it's going to get hard. Don't forget the promises I've made to you. Don't forget what I've said, what I've spoken over you. Don't forget it. Or when life gets really good, really easy, don't forget when life gets really, really hard, don't forget. So I want to get to our big so what. We always say this, so what? What's the point of this? If you forget everything else I've said, it's this. Don't lose sight of your destiny in Christ. Don't lose sight of your destiny in Christ. God has purchased something for you that can never be taken away. Like it can't. And here's the, what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to get distracted right? He wants you to get distracted, to get sidestepped, to get focused on things that are temporary, that last the 70 years, right? The pain of the 70 years. That's what he wants you to think about. Don't, don't waste your time on the kingdom of God. No, focus on the here and the now. And God's saying, don't allow that to happen. But in the same way, don't get so overwhelmed when the hard stuff comes. Because listen, I've told you it's going to be hard. I've told you it's not always going to be easy. Things aren't always going to go. You're going to be faithful to me, and you're still going to end up in a tough circumstance. You're going to be faithful to me, and you're going to still deal with that illness. You're still going to deal with pain. You're going to deal with somebody stabbing you in the back. You're going to have those experiences. You remember the promise Jesus gave? I quote it here regularly. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the promise of Jesus. And so whatever you face, wherever you're at this morning, here's the challenge. Would we keep our eyes on our destiny in Christ. Keep focus on the thing that matters, that we don't act like the Israelites who got distracted and started serving Babylonian gods. But instead, God, we say, no matter what it is, we will serve the Lord. 
And when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when things don't go the way we want to, that we get our eyes still in the right place. We say, God, our hope is in you. I don't like, I'm not going to pretend like I like this stuff. I don't like this, God, but I'm yours. And I know I have a destiny, as it says in 1 Peter, that inheritance that is stored up for us in heaven that nobody can take away from you. I told you that I... uh, coached my son's basketball team. I've never coached baseball, but I've coached my sons, you know, try to help them to hit a baseball. And if you've ever worked with a young kid trying to get him to hit a baseball, here's what every young kid does. They step up, they swing, and they go like this. Like, okay, you got to look at the ball, bud. (laughs) Like, get your eyes on the ball. It's hard to hit the ball if you're looking at other stuff. That's what we need to hear. We're not looking at the right stuff. We get distracted or we get discouraged. But if we do look at the right thing, we can endure any fire and God will restore everything that has been broken. The promise of God is so much better than any promise this world could try and give you. We have hearts to turn to him. Tonight, uh, today we're gonna do something Uh, that is, I think, the best thing that that Jesus gave us to remember, and that is to take communion together, to remember the hope that we have in Christ.